We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithane.org.au. Ephesians 2 verses 4 to 9. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Why don't we take a moment to pray, shall we? Father God, we want to thank you for your goodness, your goodness that flows upon us. And Lord, as we press into your goodness this morning, we ask that you speak to us powerfully, Father, and that we would learn more of what it is to know your heart for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And all the people said, Amen. We've been on a journey about talking about culture and about um, what is essentially important to us uh, in terms of looking back and looking forward and, and, and doing revision about who do we want to be as a people. When people come through the doors and join our community, what aspects of us do we want them to notice? And that's our culture. And uh, it's tremendous to be able to reflect on some very beautiful points, some of them things we've talked about. We will honour God, His uh, and Him and one another, that we will put uh, God up first and others second, that we will dream big, we'll aim high and not afraid to fail, that we'll pray uh, bold, faith-filled, expectant prayers. And Pastor Phil spent two weeks dealing with prayers, prayers in the big picture and Prayers that sometimes we feel a little disappointed with as we deal with God personally. And today I want to deal with we are committed to extending grace towards forgiveness and reconciliation in our community. It's a real privilege to talk about grace and that scripture that Diasaia read for us this morning is just uh, filled with the meaning of grace. And uh, I don't know whether you know it or not, but uh, grace is unique to the Christian faith. If I look uh, vastly over the world religions, whether they be pagan or, or other, uh, the, grace is something that is devoid from their language. It is something that they do not know. We as Christians are the only ones that declare grace. Gandhi, when he was asked, which world religion would you choose to be if you had an option? He said, it doesn't take me any time to think about that. I'd like to be Christian if I could. Because of this one word. You see, for the Muslim people, it's all about earning my way of salvation. I need to do everything that Allah would wish for me to do in the Quran, that I need to do my five prayers a day. And even if I do everything in my life, I'm still not sure, I don't have confidence that I will go to heaven to be with him. He may be having a bad day when I die. The Hindus believe uh, they have some 3,400 gods 
and we're never quite sure about which God they've ticked off at the time, which God do they have to appease and offer sacrifices for on the altar in their home. Which God should they be praying for and working hard, earning brownie points with, that they may enter into that place of peace or the destruction of their family or the death of their loved one would not happen. The Buddha sits in his matra position, meditating and fasting in the hope that he would meet nirvana, going through excruciating um, physical difficulties that he may earn the right, as if it were, to become holy. And then we could open it to the myriad of pagan religions in the, in the Pacific that um, worship what we know as demonic beings with child sacrifice, with other ridiculous sacrifices that they may appease the wrath of their gods and somehow find peace in this life and a, some sort of hope for the life to come. You see, with all world religions, apart from Christianity, it's all about what I do to earn the approval of whoever it is I'm worshipping. I whip myself, I, I do penance in one way or another that I might show that I am worthy, that I am trying in all of my being to pay for my wickedness, to pay for my sins. You see, the debt of our sins is something that weighs heavily on our lives. But none can fix the problem. But with Christianity, I wanna unfold with you today a powerful thought of the power of grace, grace at work in your life and grace in work in my life. Someone simply said that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. As we look at Easter, and I'll be looking more towards Easter as we go, we certainly realise that the work of Jesus is where the beginning of grace has taken place. Some have said it is God's unmerited favour. A.W. Tozer expands the idea and says, grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. Burkhoff says, grace is the unmerited operation of God in the heart of man affected through the agency of the Holy Spirit. No matter which way you word it, words like unmerited, undeserving, at the very base of what grace talks about. Have you ever felt unworthy of God's goodness? Have you ever felt unworthy of God's goodness? I wanna to read to you a story that comes to us from Jewish history. It's just a story, but it's an illustration. And uh, it's set at the scene of the Nan Gate. And uh, the Nan Gate was the gate that Jesus offered, uh, often entered through. And it was known for miracles and for blessing and for great healings. And uh, I want to read to you a story. And particularly as it comes to us in uh, con confrontation with our worldview and what we might need to do to be made whole. Let me read it to you. I would like you to imagine for a moment that we're standing at the gate of Nan, through which a casket is being carried with the corpse of a young man, the only son of his mother, and she's a widow. A great crowd follows in observation of the Jewish precept of the attending the dead unto the grave. Heads are bowed and faces manifest the deepest sorrows for the bereaved. <laughs> 
Bitterly the mother weeps as she walks behind the casket, for he, her only son, had been her only support. Then suddenly the mourners are interrupted by a man who hurries forward. Here, let me deal with the dead. I can bring him back to life. Instantly the procession halts and with mystified faces gaze upon the speaker as he elbows his way through the crowd. All this man needs is education, explains the man while Bolding approaching the casket. And from his books of science and philosophy, he attempts to teach the young man in the coffin. But in vain he watches for the flush of life to return. There is no response. Education has failed. Another man approaches the scene, confidently proclaiming that he can bring the young man back to life. And so he begins. Now, young man, make up your mind that you are going to live. Exert your will and choose to live. The choice is yours. You can get up if only you will, but there is no response. As a previously confident man looks upon the lifeless face of the young man, free choice and willpower has failed. Then another man came towards the crowd calmly with a sense of peace about him. For a few moments, no one moves. Then the man speaks, my friends, do you not know that what this man needs is religion? Through the knowledge of the Torah, he will be revived. And he sat down by the coffin's side, taking a scroll from under his arm, he declares, now I will reveal to the young man the precepts of the law. For if he will keep them fully, he will live again. But inquirers by the bystanders said, how can a corpse observe the laws since he cannot even hear the words? Until he is first alive, all the Jewish precepts are availing of nothing to him. Sorrowfully, the rabbi walks away. Religion has failed. Then from the crowd steps a figure of one who walks with perfect confidence and composure to a scene of certain failure. A sudden hush falls on the expected throng as he stands for a moment beside the coffin. Then he speaks, his voice calm but authoritative. Young man, I say unto thee, arise. Eagerly the people draw close. Who is this? What power is there behind his simple words? What manner of man is this? But then their questions are suddenly answered. The eyelids quiver, the flush returns to the cheeks, the heart throbs once more and the man rises to his feet. What had happened? Jesus has imparted life. The man was dead and it was life that he needed. This is the one great essential. Education will not do, nor free choice or human rights, not even religion. However, since sincere it may be, even will, ever, it will ever make the grade. None of the things we regard as being of value is equal to the task of restoring life. Only God's Son, by His grace, begets life. Amen. Have you found that life this morning at the foot of the cross? Has God's grace touched you? Stanley Jones says grace is free, but when once you take it, 
you are bound forever to the giver in love. Isn't that true? When you've been touched by God's grace, his undeserved favor. Genesis chapter 6 verse 8 says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. Verse 9, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. We often think when we read that scripture that somehow Noah was selected because he was good. But this would be a misunderstanding of the scripture completely. The very first thing it says about Noah, that he found grace in God's eyes. Then it says that he lived a righteous life, that he was able to do the precepts that God required of him. He was only able to do the goodness and the righteousness because God bestowed him with his favour. Noah was given grace. Grace makes all the difference. Undeserved favour. Each of us here have had our lives dealt with, I trust, by the grace of God, that your sins have been washed away. Though you were scarlet, you will be white as snow, not because of your righteousness, but because of what Jesus has done. We're coming up to Easter, and I want to unpack something of the power of the Easter story. God never does anything by mistake. Everything that God does is for a purpose and for us to understand and unpack and grow through. At the outset, days before the crucifixion, there were two men that were convicted of their crimes, crimes of murder, insurrection, and all sorts of political crimes. They were against Rome and they were undermining Roman leadership. Everyone hated Rome. But we're not quite sure where these guys sat politically, but they certainly have done lots of evil things in terms of their lives, both Jewish and Roman. And because of their crimes being captured, convicted, and sentenced for their crimes, and their sentence was death. In the days to come, on the Friday week, there would be an execution by crucifixion. A most horrid execution. In fact, in historical terms, there has never been a more painful way to die to be executed than by crucifixion. It was horrible, it was grotesque, and it was demeaning to the human nature in every way. These men were on death row. They were gnarly men. They were horrible men. They were perhaps deserving of this death. Come Easter Friday, they hear news that there's a third, there's someone else convicted. How did this conviction take place? Obviously, they'd heard the uproar and the noise and and goings on in the city from from their little criminal place, from their little cell. What was going on out there? What is happening in Jerusalem? The news comes to them that this man is is some sort of religious leader and he's been deemed worthy of death because he has been committed of blasphemy. They're not religious. They don't know much about the religious ways except what mum and dad taught them as Jewish boys. 
And comes the day where they're collected, they hear the rattle of keys and they're taken out of the prison and then they're prepared for their own death. They're in chains. They are given a huge wooden piece of cross, two pieces of wood nailed together in the centre in the form of a cross and they have to carry that cross all the way to Golgotha, the place of execution. Well, finally, this third man joins them and he's been ripped apart. His back is like the furrow of a field. His forehead is blooded and bleeding. They've been through nothing like this whatsoever. He's so weak, this man, he can't even carry his cross. And then on they go together, looking at this man, impacted, wondering, who is this guy? We deserve what we get. Who is this guy? What has he done wrong? They come to the cross, their crosses are erected with them on, nailed through the hands and through the feet, slung into the air. Death would be by asphyxiation, constantly having to lift themselves up on their feet, feeling the pain of the bolt through their legs and dropping themselves down, ready to lift again for another gasp. It was excruciating. It was dreadful. And generally, it took a long time. Who was this man beside us? Well, like everyone else, they hurled insults. This is no fun being crucified. They just sprouted their swear words and their anger and their venom to one another and to this man on the cross that was in between them. But somehow through and in the whole experience, as they watched this man, one of the criminals started to grow in his affection for this man. He started to see that surely this man is not worthy of death. Surely we have been convicted. We have done dreadful things. We know that. That's no, that's no secret. But this man is different. Why is he dying here? Why has he been ex executed? This seems wrong. But the very proximity of being close to Jesus, his life is beginning to change. And he, he is so changed and so moved by the life of Jesus in the short time that he's been with him. He says to Jesus, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your own? Would you re remember me? Faith in Jesus is pronounced. And of the few words that Jesus says on the cross, he turns to this man that was once cursing him a few moments earlier, and he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Oh, friends today, can I unpack this for you? The wonders of the cross God does nothing for nothing's sake. I want to share with you the very first person into heaven through the work of the cross. The very first one to receive of the grace of God through the death of Jesus as he paid for the price of the sins of all of humanity, past, present and future, is a criminal. A filthy, rotten criminal. A man who deserves absolutely no grace but crucifixion, execution. This is not a man that can turn his life around and live a new life in the light of Jesus. This is a man at his deathbed, the last few breaths. And Jesus said, today you will be in paradise with me. Jesus told a story about a, a mountain that can be moved. He said, you know, all you need is a faith of a grain of a mustard seed and you can move mountains. Pastor Phil talked about this last week. The mustard seed is so small in contrast to the mountain 
You see, it's not how much faith we have, it's who we put our faith into. And on that day, beside Jesus on the cross, that young man who was wicked in every way turned to Jesus and was washed clean and now lives in heaven with our Lord. Did he deserve that? In the courts of our world today, it's wrong. It's not right that someone should get off scot-free from all that they've done. But then it's wrong that you should too. All of us have sinned and worthy of death, the Scripture says. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the gift of God. It's not you that earns your salvation. It's not you that works towards your holiness. It has been given to you by the Lord through the work that he's done on the cross, a free gift, and it's a leveling factor. I could get you all to be on your knees this morning because that's where we need to be, shoulder to shoulder, on our knees, equal before the Lord. This morning, I want to close with a story that's impacted me over the last couple of days, similar to the story on the cross. Monday, three weeks ago, I got a phone call from a dear friend of mine, Marie. Marie and I have got to know each other as a family friend through my son, Drew. Drew's best mate is James, and they live down the street, and we're, we're great mates, and we've got to know each other, and James and Drew do fishing together and boating and four-wheel driving and have a lovely time together. I often meet Craig, who's a fly-and-fly-out miner, who comes to our place, and we chat about mining and about diesel fitting and about what his work is in civils. And, and uh, Craig's, uh, I've learned, is he was in his mid-50s. I was wrong with his age. And uh, Craig's a big burly fella. He's six foot five, and he's, he's broad across the shoulders. He, he, uh, when he was younger, he looked more like Chris Hemsworth than anyone else, a big bulk of a hunk of a guy, big muscly fella. Anyway, uh, Craig flew in, flew out. A couple of weeks ago, Marie rings me up and said, Lloyd, can you come down and see Craig? I said, what's happened? Marie said, a week ago, Craig come back from Charters Towers where he's got this new job in managing a huge quarry up there. He had a sore back. He went to the hospital and said, oh, look, can I have a few x-rays just to check on my back? No symptoms whatsoever except a sore back. And then they did the x-rays and they said to Craig, Craig, your back's the least of your worries, mate. He said, your whole stomach cavity, all your organs and your lung are, are riddled with cancer, mate. They spent a week trying to work out what they would do with Craig. And then at the end, the Friday, that Friday, they said, look, we can't do anything for you, mate. We'll just have to put you into palliative care down at the Dove Centre at uh, Caloundra and we'll make you comfortable, but you haven't got long to live, mate. Probably days. Marie rang me on the Monday of that week. I raced down there Tuesday morning. I didn't know where Craig was with Jesus, but my heart was that this man needed to know Jesus. Amen? He's pronounced no faith. Marie's mentioned that she's been to church a few times, and, but I don't think he'd ever been to church. And, 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 and in my heart as a man of God, I wanted, Craig's a beautiful guy. I wanted him to know Jesus. I know it's at his deathbed. I know it's at like, times gone, but... Oh, please, Lord Jesus, help me through this process. I get down to the hospital and I can hear this terrible hiccup noise right through the whole hospital. I wonder, what's that dreadful noise? And I walk into Craig's room only to find it's him, this big burly fellow with his massive chest cavity. He's, he's hiccuping to breathe. That's the only way he could breathe as his lungs were shutting down. It was so disheveling. It was a horrible experience. And I sat with Craig and I held his hand and Marie eventually came and 
And uh, he was so distraught and anxious about the thought of dying. He didn't know what lay before him and he didn't know how to be prepared for it. He'd had very little time to grieve. And so we began to talk about Jesus. We began to talk about the work of Jesus and what he'd done on the cross. And I told him the story about the mustard seed. And I said, Craig, do you believe in Jesus? And hiccup, hiccup, yes, he said, I do, I do. And it went on from there and then I prayed for Craig and I asked that he may know the presence of the Lord in these hours, that Lord would draw close to him and he would know eternal life through the work of Jesus on the cross. I didn't know what was happening in Craig's mind, but I trusted that God had heard my prayer and his and that Craig would be with the Lord. I visited a couple of times during the week and drew close to the family and prepared them for what was coming. And then Friday at five o'clock, Craig, who was now orange in colour because of his organs shutting down, breathed his last and slipped into eternity. One week ago on the Saturday night, I did the memorial at the family home. 30 people there knew Marie. 150 others, Marie had no idea who they were. They all turned up knowing Craig from fly in and fly out. Craig was a bestie from Western Australia, from Perth and Papua New Guinea, from Iraq, from all over the world. These people gathered to honour Craig and it was the most meaningful ceremony. But what was most meaningful to me is that mum was there, Maggie, 85 years of age, bigger than life. She had us rolling in the aisles of the stories that she told about Craig. But she came to me and she said, Pastor Lloyd, I want you to know I'm a born again Christian and I love Jesus with all my heart. And she said, I've prayed for Craigie all my life. And I said, have I got news for you, Maggie? Monday, two weeks ago, I led your son to Jesus. She just melted and tears flowed. Every day she prayed for Craigie. She didn't know where he was. But that heritage, that upbringing had an impact. Craig knew who Jesus was and Craig received Jesus. And we celebrated that beautiful point. And you know, if I'd gone to that memorial for that one thing, it was worth every bit of it. God's grace. And you know, when you experience God's grace, there's something like what John Hobbs has said, is that there's a leveling factor for all of us, that we are a community where we are impacted by the grace of God that we have received undeserving favour. We must forgive those that are close to us, shouldn't we? Forgiveness must be which we work on. And if someone is broke, our currency is to restore them to full health. Is that right? Amen. Because we have received grace from the cross, undeserved favour from Jesus Christ this morning. May we know and love Him this morning. I invite you to stand as we close this morning. And that I want to pray for us all this morning that we would be a grace-filled community, that we would know what it is to receive the grace of Jesus and to live in the light of that. That none of us are worthy. None of us deserve. But it is a gift from God, eternal life. Oh, Father God, this morning we thank you that we pronounce eternal life because of what you have done, not because I'm good enough. 
Oh Lord, so many of us have been shunned from the cross as if it were because we do not feel worthy. We do feel like we've done too much or we're too wrong in so many ways. Oh Lord, that is such a lie from the enemy. There is nothing that can separate us from your love, Lord, and that you invite us at any moment into your kingdom through the work of the cross. Lord, help us to receive and to embrace all that you've given, not to live lives at a distance, not to leave it to our deathbed, but to know you now and to walk with you and to know your generosity for a lifetime. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.